back, everyone. It's Pete Van Epps with Cameron Brooks. And uh, on this episode, I interview Paul Young. Paul is a former armor officer. Actually, he's a former AG officer, Army AG officer who was branch detailed armor. He finished company command and transitioned back, uh, came through the June 2015 career conference. And on this call or on this conversation, we talk about what he's doing. He worked for, he started off working at a company called All Risks. So he explains to us who that is and what he did and why he made that choice. Um, and then he starts to talk career progression and where he's gone and how he's controlled and managed his career. So it's very interesting to hear. Been out, been out now for you know, a little over five, four years or right about the four year mark and being able to manage his career and get himself in such a strong position by taking ownership of his career. So we worked through that a little bit and how he's been successful and what he's done. Also shares some good ideas about, um, about grit and fighting through adversity. Um, gives us a couple of great book recommendations. I've read a couple, but I'm excited to jump into one of them myself. So great conversation with Paul. He also gives a coffee recommendation right at the front as opposed to the end. So if you're really into coffee, catch the first two minutes and, uh, and you'll catch a coffee recommendation. Um, if you want to know a little bit more about who we are, what we do as an organization in Cameron Brooks, you can check us out at our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. You can also pick up a copy of PCS to Corporate America. You can find that on Amazon, written by Roger Cameron, co-authored by our president and CEO, Chuck Alvarez, and our senior vice president, Joel Junker. So lots of information out there if you want to know a little bit more about who we are and what we do. Okay, without further ado, here's Paul. Hey, Paul, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for thinking of me, first of all. Um, thank you well, it just turned around really fast for us. I was thinking, you know, who would be a good, you know, I'm kind of looking at some of the old, you know, look, folks that have come to the conference from years past, I'm thinking, who would be a good uh, person to have on? And I remembered, I, I saw, I, I do it through, I'm a visual guy, so I have all these pictures of all these, all the officers who come to the conference. And I saw your face, and I remember that conversation from Saturday morning at the, or Saturday at lunchtime at the conference with our coffee. And I was like, oh, yes, I've got to get Paul on the uh, on the podcast. So I'm glad you're here. Oh, that's great. That's great. I'm glad to be here. Really, I am. And are you drinking good coffee nowadays? Can you before we get go any further in this conversation, can you recommend a good coffee for all of us? Well, the, the best advice that I can give is to look for coffees from Ethiopia. Um, yeah. For me, that's that's what does it. Uh, being in Atlanta, I have to be on, like leaving the Pacific Northwest. You know, that's like the coffee haven for the United States. Right. You want good right. coffee, you need to be out there. Um, right. And then coming all the way down to Atlanta, just don't have a lot of great options. But there is a, a pretty neat uh, farmer's market here that has coffees from all over the world. And I, I've just been drinking as much of the Ethiopian uh, coffee that I can get my hands on. Beautiful. Yeah, my wife went over there one year for a trip not too long ago, and she brought a bunch back. But it was—I just remember it being very strong. Like, is that—is that a part of Ethiopian coffee, or was that just the blend that I got? No, it's—it's it's a strong coffee. It'll—it'll it'll keep you awake for several hours. And <laughs> um, you know, I'm a—I'm a fan of the flavor uh, as well because it's almost yeah. like drinking wine. It's like drinking a, a Merlot or a. Um, uh, or a, like a cab, like it, it's just got that kind of like real strong, uh, kind of bitter, but um, sure. like smooth finish. So I like yeah. it. I like it a lot. 
Well, I don't know if Fredericksburg, Texas offers their blend of Ethiopian coffee, but if uh, if if I find some, I'll I'll let you know. Anyway, yeah, please um, let me know. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know. All right, so let's let's start. I always like to start these by just level setting, letting everyone who's listening, um, giving a little bit of insight to your background. So just real quick, would you kind of walk us through from a military perspective where you came from? Sure. So uh, I commissioned in um, the spring of 2006, which seems like forever ago, and uh, I started off as an armor lieutenant, and um, specifically I was a scout platoon leader. That was my first role in the military. I was stationed at the Joint Readiness Training Center, where um, I trained, um, uh, we trained units to go overseas, so we acted as opposition forces, and we we uh, carried out, you know, um, Taliban and Al-Qaeda style attacks to prepare uh, U.S. soldiers for their deployment. Uh, after completing that role, I moved over into a, uh, a staff role because I was actually branch detail uh, to armor, so I was uh, controlled by the uh, the AG branch. So I started off as a uh, as an S1 human resources officer after finishing my PL time. Um, held two uh, two battalion S1 roles, so I got my key developmental time completed early, and uh, I was given the opportunity to be a headquarters company commander in the uh, uh, in the aviation support battalion for 101st. Um, deployed as that commander, uh, came back from deployment, uh, and then moved over uh, PCS to Tacoma, Washington, where I was an ROTC instructor for about two years and um said to myself well i've done just about everything i want to do in the military so it's time to uh to try something else and so i reached out to you all and began my uh my journey in the uh, civilian world very good so when when you came to the conference you, you were very successful in your conference you got a bunch of companies to say yes to you and you had a uh, had a big top group of companies that you were going to do follow up with that you did do follow up interviews with um, received multiple offers uh, and I'm just looking at the list of companies that you that you said no to in order to say yes to all risks and except for one there was uh they were all really sales oriented companies but the interesting mm-hmm. thing is when when you came to the conference, your strategy was to show you more team, you wanted to see more team leadership than sales. So first kind of broad question, why did that Why did that flip? Why did you ultimately put more sales roles in your top group than team leadership roles? You know, that's, that's actually funny. Um, there was the book uh, that you all recommended that we read. Um, oh, and the name of it escapes me right now. Yeah, it's like Integrity the Selling for the 21st Century, yep. No, not well. Yes, there's that book, but this this one was the fiction book where um, he was trying the the main character was trying to figure out Six Sigma processes and uh-huh. uh, the, the goal. Mm-hmm. The goal, yes, that's mm-hmm. it. So I read the goal, and I just remember kind of saying to myself, "This does not seem like it's going to be that." You know, I wanted to go into something where I could not to say that um, operations uh, and process improvement isn't challenging, but I just didn't think that I would be like excited by it and, and wake up every day like, all right, you know, what am I going to do today? And there was one person in the book who stood out and had a very tiny role, and it was the the, uh, the sales professional who was going to receive the greatest benefit from the um, the narrator uh, successfully improving processes. And I just remember how excited he was 
when he realized that the process was going to work and how many more sales he was going to make, how happy his clients were going to be. And so, you know, for me, there were, there were a lot of implications there. So, of course, the, the primary implication is this guy's going to make a lot of money. But then um, what I also saw in there was this guy also gets to help um, his clients achieve their goals. And there's kind of a win-win. And that just kind of stuck with me. And I know I remember throughout our conversations going back and forth. I, in the beginning, I was like, I don't want any sales at all. No sales. And then um, <laughs> you, you, you kept talking to me. You said, hey, you have to consider some. And then it, as, as time went on, it began to flip. And then I just began to realize that because of my personality and, and uh, I'm kind of a high energy person, I knew that my talents would be better served, you know, um, being someone who's engaging uh, several stakeholders. And so that's why uh, I found myself really being drawn towards the sales roles. I'm just going to clarify for anyone listening. When I was telling Paul, hey, you have to consider sales, it was more like, you are such a good fit. You'd be crazy not to <laughs> more than, Hey, you right. have to. So, anyway. Um, all right. right. So tell us, so when you left the conference and you did, you started your follow-up interview process, all risk was all risks was your favorite company coming out of the conference. But I know, and you'll have to just validate this for me, that that's not a company that you had even heard of or known about um, before the conference or, you know, maybe a few weeks before the conference. So, so who are they? Why were you so excited about them? And what did you do? So that's 100% correct. I had never heard of All Risks prior to that conference. And um, it's really hard to describe what they do if you're not in the insurance industry, because even people who are in insurance have a hard time explaining this. So the, the most succinct way that I can explain who they are is they are a very specialized uh, insurance organization that acts as a broker uh, for uh, retail agents who have very high risk deals, high risk deals that cannot be placed in the traditional insurance market. So that's really just a fancy way of saying it's either a super new product or it's something where the loss history is so bad, traditional insurance markets will not consider them. So they have to go through a specialized broker like, like the ones at all risks to get insurance for these high-risk companies. Um, and I'm sorry, what was that? What was that? The last part of that question? Well, I already have another question. Uh, well, and I guess, well, let me, let me ask that question. I'll ask you another one. So why, why were you so excited? Why were they your number one company uh, considering you were considering, you know, I'm looking at the list here and I'm not going to mention the other companies' names, but you were considering some big name, you know, really recognizable companies why did all risks a company you hadn't heard of weeks before find their way all the way to the top of your list coming from the conference you know that and that's actually a great question and what it came down to was as we were talking about sales every sales company that i sat across from um explained their compensation structure and uh you know every salesman is responsible for every salesperson is responsible for um hitting a goal. You have a number next to your name. And what truly stood out about all risks is the person that I sat across from used this analogy. He said, hey, you want sales. Everybody that you're sitting across from is explaining that you have a sales goal and you're going to start the year at zero with every single one of them. And he said, it's no different at all risks. You're going to start the year at zero. But if you've done your job well and you, you've really paid attention to the details, at worst, you will end that month of January at 80% of what you had the prior January. 
And that stood out to me. Having a renewal list matters. You know, have, having recurrent business and having um, uh, business partners that you're constantly working with, especially for someone who at the time didn't have a lot of, you know, corporate understanding. It just, it just stood out of my mind as this is a, a tremendous opportunity. So I, I can tell you that he was, and it's, it's funny because the, the person that brought me on was former military himself, and he brokered me in a sense and getting me to come in but because he knew essentially what it was going to take to, to, to get me to um, consider them. And it was, hey, you, the opportunity here continues to build and you're not going to have to struggle every year. And I don't want to use the term struggle, but you're just you're not going to be as focused every year on um, building straight up from scratch. And to me, that was just very attractive. You mentioned you said, hey, you know, you, you didn't have much corporate understanding. And even I have such limited understanding of insurance in general. Like, were you intimidated by that? I mean, you and, you know, you think insurance, like, okay, what what are we talking here? Was there anything attractive to you about there? Or was it more just the opportunity? Like, tell me, walk us through that a little bit. So there's this, there's two parts to that. And so to answer the, the immediate question, yes, I was, because, you know, my, my experience with insurance is whatever you see on television, you know, the funny commercials, that kind of thing. And um, I just remember... Uh, sitting in the conference, and when you know we're going through that whole process of uh, this is who the company is, this is what they do. Um, that was kind of my first taste of what corporate insurance is, because it was it was explained on an extremely basic level, which is everything in this room needs insurance. And you know, uh, we we drove here, we flew here, and and every part of this process requires insurance because if something goes wrong, if something happens, somebody's going to be on the hook for this. And I think what really stood out in my mind was when, and I believe Chuck, right? Chuck's the uh, the gentleman that that uh, is I responsible think, for. I think Chuck. Yeah, I think Chuck briefed this one more. Yeah, it feels, it feels about right. And he said, and I mean, it just I, I never forgot this. He said that insurance is the reason that our economy functions well, because we live in a very litigious society, and we're always someone is always ready to sue someone else. And what insurance does is it comes in and it provides protection from lawsuits. And what's interesting about that is he, if you read your insurance insuring agreement, it starts off with, we have the right and duty to defend. And so he hit the nail on the head when he said that. And um, it just kind of gave me something to go on, on how insurance works. Now it's far more complicated and, and it gets far deeper than that, but um, it, it definitely, help me understand what I was or begin to understand what I was walking into potentially. Walk us in or walk us through. So after you started and, you know, I can only assume that the learning curve was relatively steep, right? You had to figure out insurance. You had to figure out sales. You, I mean, there's a lot for, you know, a former army AG company commander. It's just not what you did. <laughs> right. There's nothing about your experience that really, sets up for that. So once you got over the curve, though, once you were, you know, in your day to day, and you weren't really doing a lot of learning. So maybe I don't know, maybe that's six or nine months into the role. And yeah, you're still learning, but you've got a good rhythm and flow going at that point. What was your day to day? Like walk us through. And I know no two days are the same in sales. I definitely understand that. But you know, give us a, you know, what, what does a week look like? Maybe. So before I answer the day to day, I do want to point out uh, one thing about our, our skills, 
um, that is often overlooked, and that's getting buy-in. And what I've realized is, as an officer in the uh, in any branch of the service, but especially in the Army, because I know it, um, buy-in is very important. And you have to get buy-in from your superiors as well as your subordinates, which is just a form of sales. It's speaking persuasively. It's saying, here is you know here are the benefits of doing it this way, or here are the potential drawbacks of doing it this way. Here's our potential plan of action. Do you agree? If you do, uh, then let's move forward. If you don't, can you help me understand why you don't agree? Maybe this doesn't work for both of us, then we can come back and revisit it. Um, and when I when I approached it that way, I started to realize that it, the, the sales process is, is daunting because it requires um, uh, a stick-to-itiveness, you know, true grit, but um, we are more prepared for it than we truly believe. Uh, but but the the day to day once you're you know you, you you're feeling confident and you're, and you're really believing that you can do this um, at a company like All Risks uh, you're building a book so every single day um, you've got to wake up with the mentality of I'm going to talk to this many people I'm going to make this many cold calls um, you really should set a goal daily and and do everything that you can to hit that goal and then also understand that there's administrative work that has to be done on the back end um, it can be a little intimidating at first because you're walking into an organization where many of the other producers are very established and they have teams. And um, what you're going to find is in a company like that, you're starting off on someone else's team and you're helping them build their book while also trying to build your own. And gotcha. it's, it's getting over, you know, uh, kind of that hump and understanding that you're no longer a company commander. You no longer have the same kind of clout that you had as, as an officer and you are, you're not like a cog on the wheel, but you are now, you know, one of the people who does all of the heavy lifting for someone else and for yourself. And um, so for my day to day, it was phone calls. It, it was many late nights of, of getting a prospecting list together. And this was under my own volition. You don't have to do these things, but if you're going to be successful, you have to be willing to take some initiative and take some risks. So there were many nights where I'd be sitting in the office till 11 or 12 at night getting my prospect list together just to show back up at six or seven in the morning, you know, getting my, my pitch together and then making these calls. I mean, every day for the first two hours, uh, typically I would just cold call. And I remember some people thought, man, you're, you're kind of crazy. You're just running headlong into the wall. But for me, it was an opportunity to really build experience and to, to understand what works and what doesn't, because it's very difficult to, to gain some, a, a complete stranger's trust. And it's even more difficult if you're trying to do it over the phone and they've never seen you before, and they're like, who is this person calling me at 8.30 in the morning on a Monday? And so you start right. to learn the best times to call and all of that. But my day-to-day -day was basically either helping out um, my team leader with his book or focusing on building my book. And there was quite a bit of travel involved, too. I'd say on average at all risks, 15, 15 days a month, and this isn't exaggerated, it's not an exaggerated, 15 days a month I was on the road um, because that's what it takes to build a book, especially uh, in, in the wholesale insurance industry. You can't sit behind a desk all day, every day. You have to get out and, and, and meet people. So. It's so interesting because, and, and I have a follow-up, I have a follow-up question to, to everything you just said, but it's interesting because a lot of what you just said was not like the companies that you, the other sales companies you were looking at. Not a lot of cold calling, more account management. You weren't building a book. 
you know, you kind of walked into accounts where there's already some existing business, not a lot of travel. And so what you're saying is in this role, yeah, you, I was doing some calling and yeah, I was doing a little bit of travel, which quite frankly, just to be blunt, is some of the reason why people are so anti-sales. You know right. what I mean? It's like, well, I don't want to travel. I don't want to do a bunch of cold calling. I don't want to put a lot of pressure on people. Um, so tell, why, you know, why did you do that? And why should it, better question, why should anyone else do that? What was the payoff or what was the benefit? And, and, and was it unbearable? Obviously it wasn't, you did, you're doing fine here, but can it help, help some folks see that? So <laughs> why is it, you know, that, that's a million dollar question. Why would you do this to yourself? And it's because, it's 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 there's a huge payoff um they the the culture at all risks is very entrepreneurial which you know if you're cynical it means you're you know you're on your own but if you truly believe in in your abilities then it's more along the lines that you get to build something from scratch and reap the rewards right um mm -hmm. in in many ways it was like running your own company but with virtually no overhead because they provided you with everything that you needed except the drive to succeed. And um, it's not that the, the company was 100% perfect. There, there were definitely times where I was frustrated and um, my eyes were open to a lot, especially with that being my first role. However, I can't imagine a better first role for anybody that seriously wants to go into sales because you're really going to find out very quickly if you have the heart for it or not. You know, And, and just a, a quick story. Um, it's, it's one of those situations, I, I guess the, the way I can best explain this is, you know that you have a heart for sales when you are sitting across from someone and you have developed them essentially from nothing. They didn't know you, you didn't know them, and you have convinced them to send you uh, a deal that they care the world about. Like If they lose this deal, it impacts their book in a tremendous way because you're working with other salespeople essentially to get their business. And... Um, I learned a very valuable lesson, not in a win, but in a serious loss about the strength of relationships. I had I had gotten this deal in, and I blew my competition out of the water. I mean, their their numbers were my numbers were a I guess a better way of saying it is their numbers were a multiple of what I came to the table with. So there's really no reason why the insured should not have gone with my numbers, but that's when I learned the strength of relationships, and that for me was also a turning point because. I had been working very hard, and this was one of those deals where I could kind of hang my hat on it and say, look at what I did, and I didn't get it. And, um, you know, I came home uber frustrated. My wife knew I was frustrated. Like, I, I even asked myself, is this what I really need to be doing? And uh, I, I just kind of said to myself, everybody suffers setbacks. This is nothing but a setback. And I just went back and did it again and just kept doing it. And it's, you know, I'm not at all risks anymore. So I didn't build a multi-million dollar book and I'm not making half a million dollars a year. But what I walked away with was, you know, when I say true grit, when I walked into my next position, my peers were not ready to work with somebody who had that type of work ethic, because you mentioned account management roles and, you know, kind of walking into these books. Well, that's what I walked into in my next role and established a client base. And so I, had, I was ready to take care of them. And then I was still cold calling and people are like, right. why are you doing this? And I said, well, I've got a number that I've got to hit. So I would still just make calls and go out and see people. And at, at, uh, at AIG is when it really started to take off for me because I had basically been in the, the, the most harsh environment. Essentially, 
I, instead of going through basic training, I started off in special forces. And, you know, <laughs> if that's the best analogy that I can give. You know, it's like, you've got to figure this thing out. And then I went to, you know, basic training by going to AIG. And I, I was, I was, and I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I was far ahead of my peers when it comes to the sales. I mean, I have to call it, say, you know, say it like it is. I was far ahead of them because of what I had been through for two years today uh, at all of this. So good. You know, it's why JMOs, the, the, one, the ones who choose to go into my sale or go into sales, myself included, it's, it is, I think there's two really important things. You said a lot there and I appreciate it. Two things that really stuck out is one, I think anyone that goes into sales has a really bad day at some point after you figure out what's going on and then you have a bad day and it's like, did I make the right choice? Should I be doing this? But the people that are successful, which is darn near everyone, says, yes, I'm going to continue to get after it. And I think mm -hmm. everyone goes through um, a little bit of that dip. I think the other piece, and it's really related to what, I, what you said, and my point is that, you know, being in sales with JMOs, especially, would just drive. Like you, get, like you said, you got to AIG, which I actually want to talk about that transition. But you got to AIG, and you kind of walk into this book of business, and everyone else got their book of business, and it's all good. And they're like, well, why are you calling call people? Well, I got a number to hit, man. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's just so good. Now, how did, how did that play out? So you were, you were at um, All Risk for um, a little over two years. How did how did the move to AIG? Why and how did the move to AIG come about? So, you know, after uh, about two years at, at Allrisk, you know, I was really it's there. Really, a lot of people say, "Oh, you were getting burned out," and the answer is like, "No, I wasn't getting burned out." But I started to uh, realize what I mentioned earlier, which is the power of relationships. And at, at a wholesaler, um, in, in that position, you have to have some very very solid relationships. Uh, or at least uh, have lightning strike. And I'm not saying, again, I've seen lightning strike for a lot of people because there are people who, who are still at all risks that came through Cameron Brooks before I did, and they're doing very well. Um, for me, though, I just started to say to myself, all right, you know, I can continue to run into this wall. And I, I was starting to have success, and it was near the end of my first full year producing, but I also realized uh this is an industry where there is a lot of specialization going on and the most successful brokers were the ones who were like, I do construction only, I'm property only, mm -hmm. I'm environmental only. And so I decided it would be better for me to develop my, my insurance acumen as an underwriter and then return to the brokerage side. So um, I started to just kind of float my resume out there just to see if anybody would buy it. And it didn't, it didn't take much time. For, uh, for, for AIG to bite. And um, I will make a plug for you guys. I use the, the exact same format, which I have never changed my resume format um, since I left uh, Cameron Brooks. That same here, is, by the way, I, but go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, I just want to make sure people understand that, that it works. But um, so, yeah, I just decided, hey, AIG, uh, you know, it's it's one of the most recognizable names in insurance. They're, they're sure. willing to give me a shot. So, you know, let's go through it. Went through the interview process. Again, I used um, all of the tenants that you all taught us and uh, was very successful. Um, and so I got on there and I was in what's called a, uh, a technical underwriting role, which is strictly at a desk. Um, and all I do is uh, look at, at the deals that come in and send them out, you know, with uh, my underwriting, uh, you know, with, with the premium and, and the, the terms. 
I was in that role for less than six months when someone approached me and said, you need to be on the outside. You should not be sitting at a desk. And I was like, I agree with you. So they um, moved me over. <laughs> uh, right. into an, <laughs> they, they moved me over into uh, an international role where I was a, um, a foreign casualty underwriter, which basically means I took care of all of the uh, foreign operations for like, let's say Coca-Cola. I would underwrite their foreign liability insurance and make sure that it, you know, that it works. So I didn't deal with anything in the United States uh, or any U.S. possessions of Canada. It was everything outside of that. And so it was really in this role that uh, I hit my stride as far as, you know, like I was saying earlier, um, getting out in front of clients, making calls. And um, it's funny because it goes back to something that uh, was brought up at the Cameron Brooks, con uh, uh, Cameron Brooks conference where I'd have um, potential employers saying, hey, you know, you've got to build this territory. You've got to build it. You've got to build it. And that's what this role was. It was to develop Alabama and Tennessee. And um, I walked in behind someone who hadn't really given it much effort. And by the end of that first, uh, my first seven or eight months in that role, um, I had grown that territory by almost a million dollars a year. So, uh, and it was because I had done, I had learned to do all of the basic things at all this you know, that, that kind of walked me into that role. So what's the difference and forgive my ignorance here. So you were, you were doing, you were a broker at all risks and an underwriter at AIG. What, what, what's the difference there? So the, uh, <laughs> I'll put it to you like this, a broker will go into a casino and, and risk it all for the big win. An underwriter will walk into the casino and not gamble at all <laughs> because a broker is playing with house money and an underwriter is, is, is using the assets of the company. So an underwriter um, gets the deals in from, a, uh, from the broker and they have to literally look at financials, loss history, uh, the potential for future loss and then um, provide terms. So I, I had authority for up to $5 million, which isn't a lot. Like there's some underwriters who have, you know, authority for like 25 million, but they're more senior. And so what happens is every time I sign my name and I put $5 million of, of uh, limits, there's potential for a $5 million loss. It, it rarely happens that a limits loss for what I was doing would happen. But, you know, um, Underwriters or underwriting organizations, uh, they strive to be profitable, but that loss ratio really matters. So it's sure. they're looking very hard at, you know, the amount of losses versus the amount of premium paid per account. And so as an underwriter, you have to have a very analytical mind and ask yourself, you, you really have to almost be a student of statistics, human nature, like psychology, so many things to make wise underwriting decisions. And on top of that, you have a model that you're working with that's going to tell you for a particular deal, you may need to charge $50,000 in premium, but you know that you're not going to be able to sell that. So you have to find a number that makes sense, but isn't pushing the entire market down as well and making insurance so cheap. So I hope that wasn't like too complicated of an answer, but it, you know, the bottom line is underwriters literally underwrite every single deal that comes in and, and charge premium for it. So now you're so you were you you're two years at All Risk, two years at AIG. Now you're new at a Aon by a couple yes. of months, few months. Uh, couple and you're of like literally a week. Okay, <laughs> all right, I got some. Yeah. I was I was using your your LinkedIn profile. Now you're a senior huh. broker. 
Okay, yeah. now what does that mean? Now what are you doing? So this is what's, what's interesting is this is not a sales role at all. Um, I am what's called an uh, I'm an inside broker and I'm, I'm helping uh, several stakeholders um, win the deals or keep the deals that are already on the books, right? So the the biggest difference between what I'm doing now versus what I was doing when I first when I when I left the military is I'm not out prospecting any new business whatsoever. Um, but over the last uh, four years, I have, you know, developed my insurance acumen quite a bit. And so what's happening, what I'm doing now is I'm taking what I know and uh, develop helping um, the producers, the guys who are bringing in the business, uh, helping them out by developing uh, what the target pricing should be. And now I'm on the phone with underwriters and I'm negotiating terms with them, terms and pricing with them. And um keeping my eye on, on the, uh, the market to make sure that everything, all the numbers line up. Um, in many ways, it's, it's just like what I did at All Risks, except I'm not out uh, bringing new business in. Um, so the, the funny thing about it is Aon was one of my clients at AIG. And, um, you know, it, it, they, <laughs> they, how can I say this? They recognized what I was bringing to the table and um, had a conversation with me. And I kind of had to go back and forth because I didn't really, you know, I'd only been at AIG for two years. I didn't want to, I don't want to have one of those resumes that reads every two years you've gone somewhere. But, uh, you know, sometimes there are just some offers that you can't refuse. And Aon's offer was so strong, especially, it wasn't about the compensation, Um, it was really more so about. Uh, the trajectory and and the path that they see me on, and it was all based off of the work that I had done with them at AIG. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. And so that's great. That kind of leads me into my next question for sure. And that is, um, so so then what? Where where do you go? I mean, I know you just got there, so you're not necessarily trying to get promoted tomorrow. But now, where do you go? What's the next so, role? So the next role, I would say after this one, um, would be to, it's either as a team, it would be team leader. Um, when, when I say team leader, it would be like a, uh, so I'm a, middle, I'm a senior middle market broker. So the next role for me would be either as like a, uh, a middle market leader or a large casualty leader. Um, some kind of practice leader is what we call it. So it's where I just have a larger team and I'd have senior brokers under me. And associate brokers that uh, that I'm managing and helping to to grow the book. And then gotcha. after that, I would be looking very hard at moving into a uh, a regional role, and gotcha. um, and, and then just continuing to go to go up from there. So, and that's the thing. Uh, that's the difference between a broker and a uh, an, an underwriting or a carrier per se. Uh, brokers, it's not so much that they have a defined path. But you can you can almost you can clearly see your way up through the organization. Whereas with underwriters, they um, they tend to have handsome compensation packages, but you don't find yourself moving up quite as right. uh, quite as readily. So so you are in the now at Aon, obviously international, recognized company. You are move, you are on the trajectory for for. Management. I don't know. That's probably not the right way to say that. But yeah, I guess probably it is general management as you continue to grow in the organization. 
Absolutely. That's that's and that's you know kind of my goal. That's what I'm looking very hard at. But uh, yes, I am. I'm I'm on that path. So Fantastic. I'm doing this. Very focused on doing this, and you know working my way up that way. So good. All right, we're getting we're gonna land the plane here. I want to ask you a couple more questions. First, think all the way back to the spring of 2015. You're a month or two away from coming to the career conference. Um, which probably feels like forever ago at this point in the game. But think back, you're still in the Army, getting ready to transition. What advice do you think you'd give yourself then based on what you know now? What would you, what, what advice would you give and maybe what would you do differently? Um, you know, that, that was actually one that I really, I, I had to think and think and think. And it would be... One thing that you hear a lot, especially when, when companies are trying to bring you on board, is how how the stellar performers are doing. And it's not that, you know, you you want to sell yourself short or even seem to sell yourself short, but you also have to ask yourself, okay, well, what does the company do with somebody who's not a stellar performer, just your average performer? How are they doing? How are, how are they viewed within the company? What does their path look like? What does their trajectory look like? Um, you know, I would definitely say pay very close attention to the culture of whatever company you go to because, you know, the the, the uh, culture matters. And um, I, I can say that, like, AIG, not AIG, but All Risks had a, a very different culture than AIG. And um, that personality, you know, if your personality fits in one place, it may not fit so well in the other. So to be prepared for the next move, you have to kind of ask yourself, okay, what's different in these cultures? And uh, the, the last little bit I would say is just, you know, read, pretty much read the business section of the Wall Street Journal every single day. <laughs> Never miss a day. So, mm -hmm. Let me ask you a question, though. Why? Because I think that I, I say a similar thing. I've subscribed to the app. I make it part of my routine, Wall Street Journal. But why should people read in the Army? Why, did, why should they be reading the business section? Because... In my opinion, these, they're not, number one, they're not run very differently from, successful organizations are not run very differently from how the Army is run. Like Brian Dupereau, the CEO for AIG, is a former Army officer, a former armor officer at that. But, you know, they, they find, when you're reading the Wall Street Journal, for me, when I read the Wall Street Journal, I'm getting exposed to several different sectors of business. Um, I'm seeing what what uh, leaders are up against are up against um, in the market and how they're how they're handling that. And then on top of that, there are all types of great book recommendations in there. And um, you know, it's just about being knowledgeable. At the end of the day, if you're not well read and you don't understand what's going, on, it's, it's one thing to know everything about your little section of the world. Like I'm sure everybody reads the Army Times and everybody knows you know what's going on um, on the defense front. But right. to to have a a truly uh, um, well-rounded view, you have to read uh, about subjects that are not in your area of expertise. So that's that's, that's why I would say do it. You got it. That's it. You know, we're you know, if you're if you're a JMO thinking about moving from the army of I mean the uh, the uh, industry of national defense and government, which of course what the army is, into the world of customers and profitability and competition and you know, we, you've got to be start to learn. Hey, well, what is this even like? And so, it's it's hard though because it's 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 bigger than just I'm going to read the Wall Street Journal and therefore I'm going to be you know X percent better. I mean, it's just about keep continuing to increase and stay knowledgeable. All right, very Absolutely. last question. 
any good books or podcasts or blogs that you've been into lately that you feel like someone listening to this podcast might enjoy or appreciate? So uh, the number one book that I always, always recommend is uh, Just just Listen. Um, and uh, the, the, the author's name escapes me right now. I'm mad that I didn't write it down. But you can, you can de- it's very easy to find. It's called Just Listen. And the reason I recommend this book to everybody, no matter what your background is, no matter what you're going into, is because it's a book on communication. And it's, it, it walks you through what the person that you're talking to, what they may be thinking. Because um, conversations often get hijacked by emotion. And if both parties are very emotional and they're not thinking clearly, then um, so much is going to be lost. But if if you're reading the book, you know, you'll, you'll know what questions to ask. You know how to speak in a way that's empathizing, you know, that shows empathy without being patronizing. Um, and it's not about, you know, when I read this book at first, it was like, oh, I'll be great at sales. But then it helped me in my marriage. You know, it's helped me with my friends. Um, and what it's really taught me is to just listen, you know, and to ask questions. You know, and the biggest questions you can ask is, well, what do you mean by that? You know, help me understand. Um and it just gives people a chance to kind of let go. So uh, it just, in my opinion, it just kind of helps to make you a better person. So that's why I always recommend that book. And okay. um, a- another book is The Like Switch, like L-I-K-E. Um, and that's another book on communications, interacting with people. But it's really kind of about, it's it's like the, the uh, workbook to how to win friends and influence people. So how to win okay. friends and influence people gives you the directions. And then this is, well, this is how you should sit. This is what your body language says. This is what someone else's body language says. This is somebody that you can walk up to that you don't know from Adam and have a great conversation with because of their body language. And I found that one to be very helpful. And then um, the final book is The Checklist Manifesto. And um, Uh, no matter what. Yes, yes. And, you know, no matter what you do, I love to cook. I spend um, hours in my kitchen. But I make a checklist before I start cooking so I don't forget anything. Because when you read a cookbook, it's easy to overlook the details. Um, but if you made a checklist from it, you won't. You have great food and everybody's happy, right? So that's why uh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> that's why I use that book. So. Hey, I, I got to tell you, Paul. This has been a fantastic conversation. It's good to. It's good. It's really just kind of get. It's good to get into the nitty gritty and visit with you about kind of how you're managing your career, places you've been, places you're going. You obviously have your eyes set on the future and continue to grow and develop in your uh, in your profession. So thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and hear more. No, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, I, I love sharing my story. Um, I have had, you know, a chance to keep up with some of the other guys who uh, I met through the program. Everybody's yeah, doing well. Um, we still bounce questions off of each other. So, you know, it, it's been good. Um, the the last bit I would say is if anybody who's like, man, I don't know if, if what I'm bringing to the table, you know, is going to match up with what my peers, we are, and again, it's going to sound arrogant, but it's just the truth. As former officers, we're leaps and bounds ahead. You know, uh, when, when I think about the fact that I managed an organization that had 250 people in it, and I listen to what some managers kind of gripe about. I'm just saying to myself, man, you have no idea. You know, at least you're not getting a phone call on Sunday morning because somebody got a DUI or had an incident at home with their spouse, you know. So we're, we're better prepared than we think we are to, to transition, for sure. Very, very good. Very encouraging. So good to hear your voice. Thanks for the time today. 
All right, absolutely. Thank you. All right, take care.